Welcome to Love at First Science, the podcast designed to dig deep into neuroscience, the human body, and anatomy. My name is Celeste. I'm a physio, and I teach anatomy to yoga teachers. And this podcast is an archive of the lessons I've learned along the way in my attempt to bring a more science-based approach into the yoga world. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in. Just a quick reminder that I don't run any ads, so this podcast can only grow with your support. If you learned something new that you found useful, please do rate and review the podcast. And if you think the content can help someone get out of pain, improve their life, move without injuries, or even just feel more inspired, please share it with them. It would mean the absolute world to me. And you never know, we just might help elevate our community along the way. I recently discovered Kate Brandon on social media. She's called the Physio Yogi, and I was just like, wow, this woman is wonderful. (laughs) She's so cool. She's the mum of twins. She's a physio. She's a yogi. And she... She's very smart, very, very, very smart. And I wanted to bring her on the show because there are lots of myths out in the yoga world. And I thought she's the perfect person to explain in her own way why some of these things are not as we've always thought them to be. So I'm very excited to introduce you to Kate. Please enjoy this wonderful episode here on Love at First Science. This episode has been broken up into two parts, and this is your part one. A really warm welcome to Kate Brandon, who is just, you know, I found you on social media and I was like, I just like her. She's cool. She knows what she's doing. She's switched on. She's solid. Then I got to know you and you're a mum of twins. And I'm like, what? How? How are you just juggling all these balls so effortlessly? And then you were saying, girlfriend, it's like not even effortless. There's there's a lot more to <laughs> the picture than meets the eye. And then um, you've obviously got your strategies on how to remain sane, which I would love to hear more about. But before we get into all of that, can we just talk briefly about your, your a little background on you? Like, what do you want to share with the listeners about you before we get started? Uh, Sure. Well, it's lovely to get to meet you too. And I feel the same about meeting you on social media too. I feel like we've, um, I guess, similarly aligned in what is the complexity of weird bodies. And it's just nice to, I don't know, connect with other people. Social media has its massive advantages and you are one of them. Um, But yeah, for me, I've, um, so I've been a physio for 16 years. Um, I've always, like after a couple of years of rotating around junior staff, I've always specialised in MSK, which just means helping people in pain over 16. The yoga bit came a bit later, um, was after uni. And do you know, I dabbled with it, probably with lots of people, I dabbled and just wasn't that bothered and had one class and one teacher. I was just like, my goodness, like I'm in. And she was a yoga teacher and just the most magnificent human and sorry, a physio as well. So obviously like resonated with her on that level. It really helped me. And then I knew I'd do it forever um went to do my teacher training I was actually traveling alone I've been having a six month jig on my own and um was planning to do a month of yoga in Thailand and a month of yoga in India and um had a life curveball of um my my then fiance now husband got diagnosed with leukemia so I kind of came home and then obviously life changed But in terms of the teacher training, I did it in Bristol at home over a year whilst living in the hospital basically the entire time. And like, what a cool thing to have alongside you as a bit of a sidekick than than yoga. Right. Like and almost I'm quite 
as much as that the life of what's followed that has been really complicated to do the training in that way with more time and this just constant like assistant with me during this completely roller coaster period of my life it's quite cool that I did it that way and had more time to process like I don't know about you but you get to the end of yoga teacher training and you're like oh I know nothing like is in this so yoga is such a big thing and exactly the same after physio training you're like oh cool I've done this degree and I literally know nothing like there is always so much more to learn which on one hand is quite overwhelming on the other hand it's just really exciting and intriguing because you can never learn it all so it doesn't matter you don't need to learn it all um but then during that teacher training obviously me and the teacher got very close and then she asked me to start teaching anatomy to yoga teachers from then on and I I wasn't really sure I wanted to do it and I started doing it I was like oh I love I love this Mm. uh and then I've kind of done that ever since um I had the twins and then I've kind of shifted after 15 years of the same NHS job in the same trust, I quit and now I've set up my own physio clinic and I'm doing a little bit more on social media and online stuff. But um, so it's been a big shift in what I do now, but I feel like it's now, I just feel like life is a bit more balanced. And I think I like that analogy of like, you've only got so much space on your plate. And I think like I had to, change the way work was working for me because my husband's health kind of takes up a big part of my plate so then I had to make other things easier and then now doing physio for myself anatomy anatomy for myself it just gives me so much pleasure oh I'm so happy to hear you say that you are at least having some wins because I know that you're a mum of twins which is very challenging and I didn't realize that your husband actually is he still in recovery yeah, oh my God, Celeste, that was just like the most mental story of all times. But yes, the quick version is he's been in remission for, I think, six, six years. We actually went to America for some treatment and we were told he was going to die. And then we had this treatment and he didn't. And it's just like a miracle wow. for like a billion reasons. Um, uh, what is this treatment called? <laughs> It's called, and you know, so many people wrote to me afterwards because um, we raised all this money to do this campaign, and um, so many people wrote to me to be like, "How did you find that thing?" And and unfortunately, like normally, when people are told they're dying, like you are dying, and and it mm. was just insanely lucky that there was this particular treatment called CAR T cells. It had only ever oh, wow. been used on kids. Um, my husband's like one of the first people to have it, definitely in this oh, country, if not the world. <laughs> Um, wow babe you've been through so much I had no idea this is insane it's insane I mean before the call you were talking about how yoga is kind of getting you through this time but I didn't realize quite how much can you give us a little bit of insight into that yeah I feel like um I guess you know in this time of your life you've got friends that have got different crutches and different habits of how they you know keep sane during life and some habits aren't that healthy and, and my previous habits maybe haven't been that healthy but I feel like I found yoga and um, it just makes you feel so good, right? It gets, it's one of the only things I feel like it just really gives me some head space. And for me, like in terms of that first class, when I think back to what was it in her class? And for me, it was all about the breath. And I think we can, you know, I don't know if we're going to touch on breath today. I kind of, um, but I feel like that that flow that you get with some sort of regular breath cueing can just so get you in the zone and just find that space and that peace. Yeah. And then even in times of, complete chaos you can find moments of peace and I think that was just kind of a really useful thing to be able to access and share 
beautiful and the fact that it's gotten you to be such a pillar or such a rock for your husband it, you know just kudos to you for being there for him through this incredibly difficult time I mean to be actually faced with someone's mortality like that that's massive and the fact that you actually have kids to also think about and you're trying to bring probably in money while he's um, not well oh so much respect I mean any kind of big lessons that you've gleaned from this time that you think if only I knew this before it got started if only I knew this before I got started I guess you know what I really like is and what I try and share with patients is like little like one minute hacks of things to do because actually when life is chaos you don't have time to to do anything no. and then so my one minute hack might have been um I'm walking on my way to the hospital and although I'm like stuck in my head and loads of scary stuff's happened for that walk from the car to the hospital I just try and spend the time listening to sound mm. and then that and that's just so simple right I've got to do the walk I'm a bit crazy in my head can I just try and listen to sound for that walk and whatever they sound and I focus on one sound stay there for a bit find another one stay there for a bit so it's kind of in the moment it's not had to I've not had to sit and meditate and be chilled I've just done it at the same time as getting from A to B um and then the same with breath work. I think you can do like a one minute practice of just trying to slow slow the breath and lengthen the exhale a bit. I can't say it works every time, but often it can help a lot. Um, I'll use that if I'm trying to get to sleep. I think, and I often will teach that with patients who are trying to get to sleep. It's so, it's so simple, but it's just so, that's kind of one of the best things about breath work. It's so accessible. You can use it in a queue. You can use it when you're stuck in traffic. You can use it in bed. You don't have to sit and do your breathing exercises. You can just lie down in bed and do it while you're trying to get to sleep. And that will probably facilitate you getting to sleep. Um, and it's this, this like magical doorway into the complexity of our nervous system and controlling the breath gives us a window into that. And that's just useful, really useful. Hey, my loves, real quick, if you are hypermobile, be sure to check out my book, Too Flexible to Feel Good, where my co-author and I share the latest signs on how to help a bendy body feel awesome. If you already have the book, please do leave it an Amazon review. It helps more than you could ever know, and it just might help someone else feel a bit more stable in their bodies. The book is called Too Flexible to Feel Good, and you can get it from most online retailers. Really useful. And you know what's so powerful about listening to you? is not only have you got the book knowledge of being a physio, you have the clinical experience mm. of actually trialing things out with patients and seeing how it affects them in real time, many, many years, many, many bodies. And on top of that, you've had to apply these principles in your own life at an extraordinarily high level. And so originally I had planned that we're going to talk about yoga myths, but I, I'm feeling like maybe I should be really quizzing you on some <laughs> deeper yoga philosophy and how you've, how, I mean, particularly working with patients and really noticing what really works with them. You know, what are some of the things that you're noticing kind of coming up in your clinical practice again and again that you're like, huh, I saw another one of those recently. That's interesting. Is there anything like that that's kind of coming up? So in terms of my clinical practice, I'd say probably what I've seen most over my career is um, persistent low back pain. Um, and we used to do specialists like persistent pain um, rehab courses in my NHS role. I was always the pain person. Like I, was in, I was always the person that got enthusiastic about talking about pain and found it more interesting than some. And I feel like that's something that's probably done 
really badly in lots of areas of NHS and healthcare is how that's taught. Um, mm. And I think it can be so effective when it's taught well. So like, I remember this one patient I had where, and this does definitely doesn't happen all the time, which is why I remember it as a unique, unique case. But um, we talked over the phone and um, I really just talked her through some of the things I know that you teach about, but that we know from research that tissue damage and pain aren't as well correlated as you might assume. And whilst tissue absolutely can contribute to pain, so can all of this other stuff. And our beliefs about what we think is wrong, our stress levels, our anxiety, our worries, our fears, our memories. Like I have a, when I tell a story of an injury I had in my hand, I get a little shooting pain in my hand and it's, it's healed, but that the memory is like embedded into this like <sighs> weird, complex nervous system thing and I can get that pain um and then like weird things influence it like our relationships our job there's just so much how much we move our exercise there's so many components and I think with this particular patient we were just I was just trying to explain to her there's look there's loads of stuff that can turn the volume up on our pain and, and here's some things there's also loads of stuff that can turn the volume down. And I, I often like show people an infographic that I actually made for Instagram. And I use it all the time with my patients. And I'm just like, this is all the stuff that can turn the volume up. And this is all the stuff that can turn the volume down. Like which bits seem relevant to you? And like sometimes like people mm. cry when they look at the volume up bit because they're like, all of it. All of that is happening with me. I've got stress at work. I've got stress at home. I'm worried about bending. So I've been told I've got, a crumbling spine or you know whatever and then I'm like okay and like and although that's that is sad and that is depressing and that there is lots of factors there's also loads of stuff that we can work on there and then almost when they kind of highlight what might be more of a problem sleep for example that's going to kind of gear me as to what what we work on and I think sometimes when people are taught about persistent pain they almost always come away with the message oh I've been told it's in my head and that's just mm. like so miserable for someone with a pain problem and what we know is that all pain is processed in the nervous system and the brain that's just how pain works and although you we can teach that if you have an injury so say if I injure my ankle I don't actually get pain from my ankle there's like inflammation that comes up through the leg and the spinal cord that's processed in the brain and then you'll feel the output of pain but the other thing I just like to say rather than that, because again, it's kind of like giving them that message that it's from their head. And I just don't think people, but they often feel upset about that. So I, I would just say, which is true, when the pain's been going on for a long time, if they're presenting in this particular way, that there's signs that your nervous system is juiced up. It's processing mm. way more information and it's got a chemical overload in the system that is real. And that chemical overload is meaning loads more messages are going up. Loads more messages are being fired up the um, spinal cord. And then your ability to turn the volume down from the brain is also less good. So you're kind of being hit at by all angles because you've got this loads more messages coming in and you're less good at turning the volume down. And we don't really have a test for that. Like people go for their MRI scans and that's another thing. But like you, you don't have a test that can go, oh, this person's nervous system is sensitized. And I, I can just glean that from the way they might say their pain is spread in loads of places. Loads of things make the pain source. It's not just like it hurts when I reach up and it hurts when I walk it's like it hurts when I do 
50 things anything everything hurts um or like sometimes if you do like Allah didn't like if you just lightly touch someone again that can hurt and we know this isn't painful we know this shouldn't be painful but for some people that will be painful. highly sensitized so there's those signs and then I feel like when that's taught well of um what might be turning the volume up for them the focus although for sure let's look at the biomechanics and the tissue because they can still they definitely can be drivers into that thing let's look at the other stuff and like I talked about the plate at the beginning and it's the same analogy like Greg Lehman always uses about the cup you only have so much space in your cup and at the point that 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 cup is going to overflow is the point that you have pain so if you're stressed about your kids and you're worried about your parents and then you've had an injury in your back so maybe you've got some tissue pathology there and on top of that you've been sleeping somewhere else and you're not sleeping very well you know there's all these things that can just add in and that person has a huge flare-up of back pain the tissue might have been a piece of that puzzle but actually if we work on their well-being and their sleep that might be huge in their recovery and prevention of um, flare-up um, and I think that side of things, when taught well, can be really meaningful. And alongside that, I think like patients should be given toolkits. So like we're in a flare up rather than what instinct, like you're in phenomenal amounts of pain. So obviously we're going to panic and worry. We're going to get in our heads and think, I can't do my job or I can't earn money or I can't lift my kids or my back is shit or whatever you're going to be thinking but you have all this like cascade of thought chaos and I think that's where like the yoga can be blended beautifully with with physio in that can we just pause in that moment although really hard can we sit and just try and observe the thoughts and for me that's a strategy for me if I feel stressed as well just can I just be aware that this is happening okay I'm stressed can I watch the thoughts and in that moment just by watching we're stopping that same neuro tag experience of one message to another because we're stopping and we're observing and then can you offer yourself some kindness can you offer yourself some hope like okay my back's sore right now rather than my back is shit and it's always bad and I'm you know whatever just my I'm back broken. is sore right now I'm not broken I've got mm. this and then from there okay I've looked at my thoughts as part of my toolkit what's next can I invite some slow breaths can I try and relax my body a little bit on my exhale just to try and just down regulate this spasm response and then can I explore movement what do I like doing and let's say it's back pain and we forward bend and we think oh my god that's awful and we side bend and we think oh my god that's awful and we do a little back bend and we think oh that's not quite so bad and then maybe that's just how you start moving. You do little bits of backbending or you don't like backbending and you just start to balance on one leg and balance on the other leg. Like to have the confidence of knowing sometimes the pain can be very severe, but we're not actually damaging ourselves. Yeah. It's just that the pain sensitivity can be very high. So can we just work with that and just explore movement, um, do an isometric exercise, push your foot into the wall make a load of muscles work so isometric just means you're using the muscle without it changing length it's quite a low threat impulse into the body and that can be quite nice just to again just down regulate um what else would be in my pain my toolkit pain relief heat cold and then like dis distraction 
you're going to be worried and sore can you ring a friend can you get someone to come around for a cup of tea like what can you do to try and make this experience a little bit softer so powerful i know one of my absolute favorite things to research and talk about is pain because since i've learned about the pain neuromatrix and i've started to look more deeply into the science it is a incredibly mind-blowing and overwhelming because there's so many variables to consider but finally it's also empowering because now we're finally observing the body through a holistic lens and what i found interesting is that my previous approach as a physio was i am holistic i am looking at the body and how it's moving and what's you know the part that's hurting and how that part is being used within the body but actually how unbelievably limiting that was and really much like allopathic medicine gives a uh, a, a band-aid to solve a solution that obviously has got some kind of root cause that's not being addressed i feel like often the physio strategies that i was taught at university did the very same thing mm -hmm. and there was also a sort of a shift of blame that would then be passed on to the client when we didn't solve their problems it was like oh there's something about you you know you're the problem here you're and again case. yeah you, oh yeah but it was really it was the tools that we were giving were not effective and now learning about the threat bucket and how many things you spoke about uh, social and um, psychological elements but you know very often us as physios, we'll, we will look at sort of the lower order systems, but we're forgetting about the fact that your eyes are like occupying so much of your brain as well as your vestibular system. And we are not taught at university, even though we do a neuro, a whole like yeah. one third of our degree is neuro, we aren't taught properly about the eyes and the vestibular system, which I just, which just blows my mind how we aren't given the tools we need to fully support people. When you're taught that, you then share that with your patients. And so many times I've treated patients that have been physioed way too much over their lifetime. And they come and tell you, I've got this fault and this fault and this fault. And actually I feel like now, although I might find things when I examine someone, I share that information much less. And I more talk about what is going well in their body. Actually, this hip is moving really well. You've chested pretty strong here. And, and I just, I, I, I've shifted my language so much and it's interesting because even with colleagues that I've worked with for like over a decade where her training has been very aligned I can still hear them say things where I'm like oh I really wouldn't say that anymore um but I just think the power of our language is massive and that example I think I started to say at the beginning was having this phone call we used to do a lot of phone physio years ago I had this phone call with someone and she was very sensitized, lots of negative beliefs, had stopped doing everything in her life. And I ended up bringing her in to see me because she was falling and had all these problems. And I saw her three weeks after the phone call and she'd gone from a 10 out of 10 VAS, like her reports of pain, to like a four out of 10. And, I, that, and I, all we did was talk, we did nothing. And she's obviously changed some things within her life. I didn't give her any exercises. We just talked and I gave her some lifestyle advice. That is rare, so I can't say that that happens all the time. But it just shows you that that was just conversation and mm -hmm. explanation and getting her to be less scared of the pain. Um, and the other thing in line with that, that I think is probably the most helpful thing I was ever taught at physio was to ask these three questions. One, what did they think is wrong? So what have they been told is wrong? What do they, what do they feel in their heart is wrong? That information is so valuable to me. 
Two, what's their expectation? Like, what do they think they need to get better? Because if they think they need something particularly, I'm going to probably give it to them because they really think they need it. I'm just going to also incorporate what I think they need. And then three, their goal. And that bit, I don't know about you, but I always find that quite hard to establish people's goals. And particularly if you've got someone with persistent pain, always their goal is, um, I want less pain and to feel normal. And these kinds of phrases, which I 100% absolutely agree. And that's what I want for them too. But I want to find something specific. And then so I might say something like, if I could make the biggest change in your life by changing one thing, what would that be? And rather than it being you want to get rid of something, you want to get rid of the pain, I want to think, what do you want to do? What would be different if that pain wasn't there? And what is most meaningful to you? And then when I can get an answer to that, I'm like, bam, that will be like a, a central point of my rehab is to lift their kids, it's to be less scared of bending, it's whatever. And person A and person B, even if they presented with a similar centrally sensitized system, depending on what they say is their goal or what is meaningful to them or what they need to be different, my rehab will be geared around that amazing this is gold what you're sharing by the way Kate honestly I'm just like mind blown thanks for listening that was part one of the show next week I'll be releasing part two remember if this episode was helpful at all please do share rate and review